From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for our Thursday, October 17th, um, 2019. Uh, it is part two of our NBA preview, and we welcome in senior NBA analyst, diehard Nick fan, my big brother, and Frank, uh, the chief Frank insider of Teeing It Up, Jordan Brickman back to the, the show. Hello, sir. How's it going, Jeremy? I'm good. All right, so you are in the same place where we did the emergency KP podcast after the trade for KP. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any differently or any better, more importantly, about this team now than you did in that moment back last winter? I'm technically one floor higher than where I was when we did the call <laughs> last last, uh, last winter, so hopefully that's a metaphor for the Knicks moving up. Um I, uh, I, I'm always going to be optimistic. I mean, like the KP podcast, obviously, that's a, that's a gut reaction right. scenario. Um, but I'll always be optimistic. Look, you, you got the third overall pick. There's, there's reason for optimism when you, when you have that. Um, when, yeah, and, and that's what happens. And they were able to get what, who's hopefully a, a, a quality guy. You did something that I thought was very unique. I mean, there's a lot of diehard fans who saw us clips on Twitter, but you actually went and watched every one of Frank Nilatina's, um, um appearances for France in the World Cup. And for those who don't know, Frank has been a disappointment as a Nick, but had a breakout um, World Cup for France. So A, what did you see there? And B, how have you seen this translate, if at all, in the preseason uh, so far? I think the big thing, and, and this is, you know, there's a, a conglomerate of Knicks fans who are, who are passionate about Frank, and there's a conglomerate of Knicks fans who really just don't like him much. Um, and I think what you saw in, in the FIBA tournament is that um, if put in the right scenario, the guy makes winning plays. He, do, he does the, the little thing. He does the, the, the tip out, or he does the, the uh, offensive rebound, or he, hits, he takes the... the you know, the pull-up jumper when, when the defense gives it to him. He, he does those small things um, that might not necessarily show up in the, in the box score because someone has scored 30 points and has had to be about He does those small things, and when put in, the, in, a, in a system that can help facilitate that, he will have an impact on the game. Um, and you saw that in the whole tournament, but you really saw it against the U.S. Um, when he, I think he outscored the entire U.S. in the last, like, six minutes of that game, uh, and, he, and he locked up. Kemba Walker, and, and he hit some big shots as well. So uh, I think if put in the right scenario, um, he can unlock his potential. Now, fast forward to the preseason, he's been saying the right thing. He's been saying that, oh, now I see. I used to think that taking a jump shot was selfish. Now I see how it can, how it can help my team. I, I, I've changed my mindset. I've, I've changed how I play. Um, that hasn't necessarily um, has, had led to results on the court yet. He hasn't scored more than, I don't think, seven or so points in a preseason game. Only three preseason games, of course, but um, hasn't fully fully come come trans transitioned over. But I, I think that, that it will happen if, if, if given consistent playing time. What we did see uh, last night in the game against the Hawks, like obviously a preseason game, but Trey Young was torching the Knicks all, all game, getting into the thing all game. Frank Jackson was about four minutes left and completely stifled him. He, he, he blocked one of his shots. He, he, he stopped at one or two drives. He stole an inbounds pass. He made a huge impact on the game defensively. Uh, and that's what, that's what you hope Frank can do. At the end of the day, if Frank can be a lockdown defender, um, and all he has to do is be able to 
maybe bring the ball up to the ball a little bit and hit open threes, there's a ton of value in a player like that. You look at a guy like T.J. Tucker, a Tony Allen back back on the the Grizzlies and Celtics days, those guys were locked down defenders, and some of them couldn't even really shoot the three. P.J. Tucker's become a great three-point shooter, but just being able to be a threat out there is going to be huge for him because he's so diverse defensively. Uh, and the Knicks really need someone that can lock up a perimeter player because they don't have a lot of guys that can do that on the team. So um, I think that, that the, the coaches, Fizz, and the team is saying the right things about him, that they're seeing the value and, and they're seeing some progress with him. So I'm just hoping that that the, the Knicks backcourt's not too crowded to stop him from getting the minutes he needs to continue to build his confidence and make an impact on the floor because he will make an impact if given the opportunity. You literally walked right into my next question, which is he's made this progress, yet this is a crowded backcourt. And, you know, David Fisdale has to make a decision here between Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payton, and Frank as to who is going to be the starting point guard and what the rotation and the minutes are going to be. So as you see here right now, and we'll go to the whole rotation in a second, but just among the point guards, how do you see this playing out? So uh, Fizz has said that he wants a scorer that's the start at point guard. So to me, the only option for that of the three is, is Dennis Smith. Alfred Payton is good at everything but scoring for the most part. Um, I don't really see, he shot 0 for 9 in one of the preseason games. He can't really shoot from deep. So I, I don't see him beating out Dennis Smith. Now Dennis Smith had a really rough first game back from his back injury last night in the preseason. He was clearly rusty, clearly wasn't himself. Um, so I think you're gonna, they're, they're going to want to hope to see some of that rust shake off tomorrow in the, in the final preseason game. But I, I foresee Dennis Smith being the starter. Uh, and I think, Frank, they're going to start to transition Frank again to that combo guy. Um, but I'll tell you who I think the best the best point guard on the ro- on the roster is, and I think it's R.J. Barrett. So that's interesting because there are some depth charts that list him as a point guard, and yet he came out as a shooting guard. So why do you think R.J. is best at point, and what does that do to his overall game? I, I think that that his his instinct is to be a playmaker. Um, from what I've seen in, in summer league and, and in the preseason so far, he's the kind of guy that, that, that wants to make plays, whether it be for himself or, or for his teammates. And he's a natural passer. Um, he's a ta- and he's a talented passer. I've seen a couple of times where he, he's got good touch on his passes. He's got good accuracy with some of them. You know, it's, playing point guard is the hardest position to play in the NBA, so it's, it's going to take some time. But um, the coaches have spoken about his IQ and how advanced it is and how he really understands you know, when to get the guys the ball, and, and um, that just adds to his value. Now, you mentioned he came out as a two. There's some, there's some experts that, that think he's not uh, swift enough to play the two defensively. So if you're going to put him at the one, that causes even more problems, right, because he's definitely not swift enough to guard, to guard a one, which is where I think someone like Frank comes in. So I think Frank and RJ are great compliments for each other because Frank can come in. He can also handle the ball, you know, next, next to RJ, but he can guard Without giving up size, he can, he can guard the other team's one. And if he, and again, the key for him is if he can knock down that open three because RJ's going to need shooters around him. So if Frank can be the guy to, to be the, the secondary ball handler next to RJ, guard the, 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 the primary ball handler on the other team, and knock down threes, I think that, that's a fantastic combination. So I think that, I think, in my opinion, will be uh, one of the best plus-minus lineups for the Knicks this year. Uh, depends how long it takes to get them there, but I think RJ is the best point guard for this team. 
So we're talking to Jordan Brookman here, um, our uh, NBA, senior NBA uh, analyst and diehard Knicks fan about the Knicks for the 19-20 season. Um, as you look at this team overall, they struck out on getting any big-name free agents, which meant that they had to do some creative things. So they signed Julius Randle to that three-year deal. And then they did a whole bunch of little things with Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson and Marcus Morris. Um, and I'm forgetting somebody in this mix. Uh, 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 Reggie Bullock, who's currently out until November after back surgery. Ellington. Yep. Uh, plus Wayne Ellington. Thank you. So now we've got this group of put-togethers alongside R.J. Smith, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson. How do you see the rotations playing out, and, and, and what do you think about the way Scott Mills um, has built this roster around what they were forced to keep and what they were forced to deal with not getting? Well, you know, they, they've gotten some slack because there was basically two ways. Once they struck out, there was basically two ways they could have gone. There was the acquire bad contracts with draft picks route, which some teams did, um, or there was the sign the one and one guys, which is the, which is the route that they went. Um, you know, I, I I think time will still tell for if this was the right move. Not necessarily from a on the court standpoint, but from if they. I think part of the concept was that, that all the players they signed are are movable, right? That that they are. Yeah. They have they have contracts that teams will be willing to absorb for the most part. Uh, and they're players that teams generally would like to acquire at the deadline. You know, they're not superstars, but what team doesn't need a three-point shooter like Ellington at the deadline? Or what team doesn't need a, a rugged defender, stretch four type guy in Marcus Morris at the deadline? So th- that's kind of, I think, the, the, the mindset is we'll take the guys that are on contract that we like, that gives us flexibility as, as, to, to maneuver as needed. Um, and also maybe it makes, it makes us play better on the court and maybe it helps us in the locker room. Because I, I think... I think as far as the rotation playing out and how it's, it's kind of crowded and there's the team's pretty darn deep uh, when it comes down to it. I mean, a guy we haven't even mentioned is Alonzo Trier, who had a pretty spectacular rookie season last year, and he might not even be getting minutes to op- open the season. He didn't even play last night in the preseason game. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, what I would like to see is, I think, get Todd Gibson to me. He, while he's been actually pretty impressive in, in the preseason, um, to me, I don't, I don't really want to see him on the court too much. Um, you know, I don't need to see a 34-year-old guy that's not going to add much defensively and it doesn't have a lot of, you know, only declining from here. I, I think he's a great club locker room guy, but let's let's leave him on, on the bench and, and let's make sure that the guys that need the minutes will get the minutes. I, I think Randall is going to be on the cusp of All-Star this year. Um, I mean, he put up some incredible numbers last year, and now he's bringing the ball on the floor. He's going to be a playmaker. He, he's got a chance to really, really break out. So he's going to be getting in the 30 minutes in the 30s. If Mitch can stay out of foul trouble, he'll be getting minutes in the mid to high 20s, um, I, I would think. And then Bobby Portis, who started last night, by the way, um, which is interesting to see how how that 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 continues. I think he'll be coming off the bench in my in in my, in my guess um, to be a kind of an instant offense kind of guy. So if you get rid of Taz and they start to play Marcus Morris at the three, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, then the question is, where does Kevin Knox fit in here? Um, is he a, is he a four a stretch four, which some people think he, he is long term? Can he stick at the three? Has he made improvements? If he if he's shooting thirty eight percent from the field, he's not going to get minutes to begin with. So I think what they've done is they've created a culture of 
if you want to play, you have to earn the minutes. If, if Kevin Knox improves and is good, he will get minutes. He's better than those players I just mentioned, um, at least on paper and from a talent standpoint. If, if, if uh, Frank Nielakino or Alonzo Trier or, the, or these different guys are not playing over Wayne Ellington, it's probably because they're not playing well. Um, they're better. They're they're more talented and they're better than, than the Wayne Ellingtons, the Reggie Bullocks, um, and the, even the Bobby Portises of the world. So if they're not progressing and they're not, uh, you know, making their their, their talents go go further than, than they have been previously, then they're not going to get minutes. And that's kind of the culture they've created. If those young players do step up and start to get the minutes that, that they need to get, then we can easily trade the contracts to teams that that are going to need that additional talent come come trade season. So. I think it would be interesting to, to kind of play out. I could foresee myself and fellow Knicks fans sometimes getting frustrated when a guy like Todd Gibson's out there and Mitch is sitting on the bench, um, or Ellington is playing over Frank or um, over Trier or someone like that. I could see us getting frustrated, but I, I think it's going to be important to remind ourselves through the first month or two months of the season that you know this is kind of the process of building up talent, building a team, and um, these guys are going to have to earn it. Last year they were handed minutes. This year they're going to have to earn it, and if they play well and they and they do the things they need to do, they'll get those minutes. But it's not going to be handed to them up 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 front in the beginning of the season. Yeah, um, clearly you're going to have to earn it, and clearly the Knicks have put themselves in a position where they can, I believe, be a sleeper team in terms of being a spoiler. You know that that team that you look at on the schedule and think, all right, that's a guaranteed win. I think if if the right rotation and the right group of talent come together, um, we can see that happen um, if some teams are sleeping on the second end of a back-to-back or something like that. Part of what I think is interesting about this squad is Mitchell Robinson, who was a breakout uh, player last year defensively, got uh, uh, amongst hashtag NBA Twitter and the NBA circles um, some notoriety, but I'm not sure he got the national attention he should have what do you think we'll see in year two of Mitchell being a prominent member of this Knicks rotation what does he need to do to become a perennial all-star type player for, for me you know he was there's a lot of hubbub about how he worked on his jump shot all offseason um I don't really need or want to have any want to see him shooting jumpers um for for me, he's got to do. He's got to be the guy that's going to do the dirty work. He's got to get every rebound, second offensive rebound, and he's got to block those shots and, and be a rim runner. Um, I, I would love to see him have a post game. Um, I don't think he'll ever be a go-to Al Jefferson type scorer down low. But um, if he has a Trey Young on him or a, a two or three guard on him, and he gets the ball in the post, he needs to be able to make a move down there. I don't even know if he has that right now. But that's that's what I would prefer to see him work on that, that versus the jump shot. I'm hoping the jump shot helps him with his free throw percentage, obviously. But to me, just more of the same. I just want to see him block shots. You know, two to three shots a game would be would be amazing and keep the same pace he had last year and stay out of foul trouble. The foul trouble is going to be key for him because, um, he, he, you know, he, he has this tendency to every shot that goes up, he's trying to block it. Um, and that's a problem because not every shot's blockable and then you're going to get out of position for a rebound or someone's going to have a nice, easy dish off, dump off pass. Um, so he's got to be smart about that. About that, you know, he came in last year. We didn't think we were going to get anything from him. Uh, he's obviously way more advanced than we thought he was, but he's still very, very raw. So I want to see him kind of stay within himself a little bit more. You know, when the Knicks had Porzingis 
uh, who maybe we shouldn't mention his name in these circles anymore, but when the Knicks first got Porzingis, he kind of had a similar problem where he would jump and try to block every shot. And he realized if I just stand straight up with my hands in the air, I will either block the shot or disrupt the shot. And that's really the goal is just to disrupt the shot. Um, so that he's got to figure out kind of a happy medium there. So teams are going to start to shy away from him. They're going to try to isolate him on the side and try to, you know, get an open look on the other way. So he's got to be able to be patient um, and let the game kind of come to him and not jump and get caught on a foul and one or something like that. So I'm hoping that, that he kind of can let the game slow down and, 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 and uh, kind of pick his spots for, for when to be aggressive. That is the benefit when you're seven foot one. You do have options if you don't want to jump for everything. We're talking to Jordan Brickman here on Teeing It Up about the Knicks and, and previewing 1920. Um, we're going to take a break from talking about the Knicks right now for something that I did not prep you on. So uh, let's see how fast you can uh, uh, react here on, on the fly to a really uh, funny thing that you may not have been paying attention to. So let's see how this goes. Live producing is always fun, folks. Um, one thing that we tend to get, especially from NFL preseason, is ridiculous hot takes that are nowhere near the actual truth. Now, the NBA preseason is a whole lot shorter than it used to be. But have you seen anything on any team in the NBA during this preseason that you've gone, that is the most ridiculous take ever that will never actually come true in the regular season? Man, this is this is the one you throw on me without uh, without any prep. Uh, yeah, I thought of it literally five minutes ago, which is probably why I didn't prep you on it. Um, this is this is a tough one. I would the first thing that comes to mind is the guy Tyler Hero Hero on um, the Heat. Okay, um, he's been he's a rookie. Got drafted this past year. He's been pretty darn incredible um, in the preseason so far. Uh, people are kind of saying that he might usurp um, Goran Dragic in their, in their starting lineup. Um, I don't think that's going to happen long term. I think that Dragic had a kind of a tough year last year and, and um, was injured and just kind of struggled generally. He's a very, very smart player. I think he's going to be the guy that's the play point guard for, for that team and, and kind of be the leader there and have, have a bounce back year. Uh, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I don't even know. I need to think that through even a little bit more myself. But uh, that's, that's tough to put me on the spot like that. I will say the team that I love on the other side of things is the Pelicans. I think that they are going to they are going to make the playoffs uh, in the in a very crowded West. Um, what's funny about that is that we're going to talk about the West here momentarily. Uh, but my favorite hot take that won't come true is LeBron James being a point guard because LeBron James is already the point guard. He already brings the ball up three quarters of the time. So what's the big deal about if he's the one? Like, I don't get what all the hype was about that. That's what he's done his whole career. And I, and I, and I get it. Playing, you know, uh, sorry, acting as the guy who brings the ball up doesn't automatically make you the one. But it just seems like this was something that was already happening. And it just comes down to who's your best people on the floor. And if that means LeBron's technically the one, so be it. Right, well, it's, it's really, it's almost more about defensively at that point, right? Like, who matches up with the other team's one? Yeah. Um, which, is, which is kind of what I was saying with the RJ and Frank scenario, that, you know, RJ can play point, but he's not going to guard Trey Young. He's not going to He's not gonna guard Kemba Walker. you got to have a point, a guy that can keep up with his quickness out there. Um, 
So it'll be interesting to see who, who they have to do that. But Rondo's, you know, shelved himself at this point. They don't even have really other options other than like Alex Cusco on the roster. So um, it'll be interesting to see see what they do. It's interesting. I was reading a, a NBA GM study or sur- survey rather um, a couple of hours ago about you know different predictions for the season. And some of the questions were, who's the best point guard, who's the best shooting guard, small forward, etc. in the NBA. And LeBron got votes for point guard, small forward, and power forward um, <laughs> as, as, the best, as the best of that position. So it just kind of speaks to his versatility and how, how amazing a player he is. Yes. All right. So now back to the Knicks here before we, we, we go around the league quickly. What are your expectations that this is October 17th? If we're sitting here on April 17th and the Knicks have done blank this year, what will make you happy? For me, it's, it's, it's not about, I mean, look, I would love to make the playoffs. That'd be amazing. Um, I would love to win games. That would be amazing as well. But to me, I want to walk away from this season. I want to say, all right, Mitch is a legitimate defensive monster. Long term, he's the answer at center. I want to say R.J. Barrett is a, is a, is a stud. I want to say this, this guy is, is our guy moving forward. He's got a legitimate future as an all-star in the NBA. And, and he, he, it's not just, oh, he had an okay year. He needs to have a very good year, um, I think, to walk away to walk away feeling positive about this season. And then kind of pick, pick, your, pick your poison between, between Knox and Frank and even Trier um, and all these different young pieces the Knicks have. You want to see one of those guys, Dennis Smith, you want to see one of those guys take a legitimate step and say, okay, this guy is now added to is, is someone that we can count on to contribute on a nightly basis to to our future. I think that'll that, that that's my base for the season. If everything else doesn't work out, if those three, if those you know two and a half three guys step up and and take advances in their careers, I, I think I'll be happy. Um, I would love to see Julius Randle be an All Star or be in that conversation at least, and, and have him kind of validate that he is. You know, one of the more unique talents at the four in, in the NBA. Um, but to me, it's all about those young, those young pieces. Fred, uh, uh, Mitch and RJ in particular, because then, because if you have those two guys, and you can say, all right, we have, we have our offensive guy, and we have our defensive guy. Let's let's build around them. But we we need to walk away from the season with significant developments in those guys and some of these guys' talents, and and a real understanding of who is going to be a part of this team's future. All right, so let's go around the league here quickly, and let's start with Damian Lillard, and it's time for Explain the Beef, where hip-hop fan Jordan explains to me why all this stuff happens. Explaining the Dame-Shaq thing, it's pretty self-explanatory, so let's alter this slightly. Why does Damian Lillard and all these NBA guys keep getting into... I, 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 I get it. He's a rapper. He's bound to end up in rap battles. But why go down that route? Why not... I, 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 it just seems weird that Damian Lillard is in a rap battle. It just seems like he's the wrong guy to be in a, in, a, in a rap battle. He should have other things to worry about than be a rapper taking out his griefs in rhymes. Well, I think that it's important to consider that that music for these guys is is uh, something that they're passionate about and it's a hobby for them, right? So, so it's a way to relieve stress and and. Um, way to occupy their time when they're not exercising, going to the gym, playing playing games, you know, training, whatever it is. So it's important, I think, to remember that when you think about, oh, why is he into fashion or why is he recording music, all that kind of stuff. 
It's a mm. way for them. It's an outlet for them to have a, a, cre a creative uh, way to express themselves. Um, and then I think the beef aspect comes in. Beef is, uh, you know, rap beef and, and battles and diss tracks is, is in the soul of, of hip hop and rap. Um, it will always be a part of it. So if you are a rapper, it's kind of always a possibility that it happens. Um, and and uh, I, I think this is just a fun one, right? Like Shaq is a legend, of course. Lillard is one of the best players in the NBA. Um, Shaq has gone platinum as a rapper. It just makes sense that, they, that, that something like this would eventually happen. Lillard had rap beef with Marvin Bagley, I think it was over the summer. Um, so this isn't the first time he's had, he's had rap beef. And he is maybe the best basketball NBA player, rapper, eventually ever. Um, he's like a legitimately talented rapper. Um, so it just makes sense that, that the two of them would kind of go, out, go after each other. And uh, it's all in good fun, of course, right? You know, they're just trying to have a good time with it. Nothing's going to get too serious. But, but I think they're just trying to have some fun with it and express themselves in, in a fun way. Well, I, I hope it's all in good fun and it doesn't derail the Portland. Uh, it, it, it won't derail Portland season, but I hope that, that, that Damian Lillard gets recognized for being the point guard that he is and, and not for rap battles and beefs and diss tracks because that's not where he wants the attention. All right. In the East, where's your head at for, for who's the, the – let's go Eastern Conference Finals. Who's in it? I think right now you got to say Sixers Bucks. I think those two teams are, are clearly above the rest right now. Um, I, I think the you know I was a little disappointed in the Bucks off season. They lost Brogdon, who's a big part of that. What they do, they didn't really replace him with any high level players. You know, you added a couple ancillary pieces like your Wesley Matthews and your Robin Lopez, who are you know fine fine role players, but they're not game changers by any means. So. I was disappointed in their offense. I think they're a little vulnerable. I'm curious to see, um, you know, how Gian what Giannis does in his, in his um, attempt to, to defend the MVP crown. And then the Sixers are, are just pretty stacked. Um, you know, there's questions around how Ben Simmons and Embiid mesh. You know, neither guy really shoots from outside. I don't believe that Ben Simmons is going to be a great three-point shooter this year, even if he's taking them. Um, Josh Richardson's a nice piece. Al Horford is just the kind of guy that teams win around him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he meshes with, with MB, but those two guys, those two teams are, are clearly the best. Celtics are right there. I think the Pacers are really interesting. It's unfortunate that Oladipo is not, you know, fully healthy going into the season. He's not, he's going to miss some time, but if he can get back up to full strength come playoff time, which is saying a lot, if he can get, come back around then, um, and be strong for the, for the playoff run, that's an interesting team and a dangerous team, I think. Brogdon and T.J. Warren are, are, are valuable and, and, and talented players that they added this offseason. So I think they're a little bit of a dark horse if they can survive a slow start before Oladipo comes back. Um, the Celtics, I'm not really a believer in them as far as being a uh, conference contender. You know, if Gordon Hayward can kind of have a bounce back year, if Tatum can take the step that he didn't take last year, if Brown can step up with, with, with his role uh, expanding, you know, Kemba's first year in Boston. They have a great coach, obviously. The talented team, uh, they're going to have some problems with size um, because if you look at the top two teams in the East, I just mentioned the Sixers have so much size uh, in MB and Horford and even Simmons at, at the one is, is huge at the one. Um, and, the, and, the, and the Bucks have, have size too with, with both Lopez's, with Giannis, obviously, he plays like every position. Um, the Celtics are pretty weak. Uh, at the five, you know they got Ian's Cantor. Their best center is Ian's Cantor, um, and as we know, as, as Nick fans, he's he's not stopping anybody. No. Um, so so 
yeah, they have some vulnerabilities there. We'll see how they try to show those up as the season goes along. But, but yeah, to me, it, to me, it's Bucks and Sixers are, are above everyone else, and I think the Pacers are kind of an interesting dark horse. I don't know if they'll be able to get to the level of those guys, but they have some talent that, that can really disrupt some things. And then out west, uh, is this Clippers Lakers? Is, is is the battle for LA going to be the battle for the Western Conference, or does a Utah or Denver sneak in there? Or Houston? Don't forget about Houston. Um, the, the, the Rockets are bona fide. They've been a bona fide title contender for a couple of years now. In theory, they've got better uh, this year with, with Russ over Chris Paul, who's been you know Russ has been, had a bad year last year, but but Chris Paul's been declining for a little bit now, and um, Russ will add a new element to that team that that maybe some additional speed to that team that they might have needed. Um, so the Rockets are, are certainly in that conversation with the Clippers and Lakers. Um, the Lakers are not really that good past their top two and a half guys. If you want to throw Cruz in there, they're really not that that good past those guys. Danny Green's a nice, you know, role player. Rondo is not the same player he used to be. Um, you know, we'll see how Dwight Howard does. Um, JaVale McGee is, is a is a fine guy there, but like you're not you're not depending on him to, to do a ton um, in a big game. I, I feel at least not for a long stretch. So that, that, that team's really not that strong. And the Clippers, I, I have concerns about about their offense. Um, first of all, Paul George is going to miss maybe the first 10 games of the year. And we know how tough it can be for these superstars to mesh, uh, how long it can take for that to happen. And who who's really running the offense there? Patrick Beverly is not a guy that's going to you know take apart the defense and um, you know get 10 assists a game. And neither is Kawhi or Paul George. You know Maybe they, they embrace that, that role a little bit more, but... I'm really curious to see how that offense looks. Defensively, they should be incredible, um, but I'm curious to see how, how that, that offense flows uh, as the season progresses. Uh, I love the Jazz. Um, you know, I think it's a great that the, the improvements they made are, are fantastic. Uh, I think Mike Conley is, is a, one of the more underrated players, if you can stay healthy. Bogdanovich as a shooter uh, next to Inglis is also a shooter and a good defender. Gobert, it's gonna, to me, it's going to all hinge on Gobert's health. Uh, and Conley's health for that team, and if Mitchell can uh, become a little bit more efficient, that's that's the keys for that team. But they they are legit, uh, and I'm looking forward to watching that team, the, the Jazz play, and the and the Nuggets and the Trailblazers also are in the conversation for for, for the West. The Trailblazers and the Nuggets both have a leg up because they kind of have some cohesiveness. You know, they they both teams had a lot of success last year. They had a lot of success come playoff time, and that. Um, that will always give, give a young team some confidence. Both teams made improvements in the offseason. I love the Jeremy Grant move for the, for the Nuggets. Michael Porter Jr. has looked great in preseason. He could be a whole extra X factor for, for the Nuggets. They don't have someone like him, a kind of big athletic wing. They don't have that kind of guy. It could be a whole other asset for them. And if Jamal Murray can take a step, I don't know if, if, if he'll ever get there, but it's a little inconsistent. But if he can take that step, that's going to be huge for that team. So the West, to me, is wide open. Um, and it's also going to come down to health uh, come playoff time. And we haven't even mentioned the Warriors, who, if Clay Thompson is back, I am taking the Warriors to win the championship this year. Um, come playoff time, if he's back, I think that team will win uh, again. So so I'm, I'm curious to see how they do. I think Steph, Steph Curry is my MVP pick. I think he's going to have a career year this year, which is saying a lot because he's had some insane seasons. But... Um, all of those teams have a legitimate shot at winning the West and thus winning the title. 
um, and it'll be fascinating to see see how that how that unfolds. Uh, that is that that is bold, but that is that that is one heck of a um, a uh, a prediction if it comes true. So so really fast, your your NBA final and your champion. All right. I'm I'm gonna go. I'll I'll be I'll be bold. I'll I'll say Warriors because um, I I do think Clay will come back this year. Um, so so I'll say Warriors, um, and uh, I'll say Sixers. And I think that's a very interesting clash of style. Um, you know, that's kind of the team, the ultimate three point shooting team versus a team that doesn't have a lot of it. Uh, size versus not a lot of size. Um, and I'll take the Warriors. Warriors over Sixers. That is a very, that would be a very interesting um, finals matchup. Jordan Brickman, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. You got it anytime. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Have a good night.